Okay, good morning, everyone. Good morning, everybody watching online on Facebook and or NorwoodFMC.com for the audio. I'm a little excited about the message we have today. It's actually fairly short, uh, but I feel like it's important, and this is what we're doing. So here's the thing. See what it does? The walking back and forth. (laughs) All right, so here's the thing. If you think about it, at the time that Jesus lived, which we don't dispute, I mean, you know, there were censuses back then in the whole nine. The fact that Yeshua of Jerusalem lived, of Nazareth lived, isn't for debate. I told you about my atheist professor in college who acknowledged him. It's, we know that genealogically. It's just who was he? Well, at the time, he's walking around, he's teaching. Right, Marty's teaching new things, things he'd never seen. He's tying in the old to the new. Well, one thing that's really uh, apparent to me is there were different layers of people that followed him around. You had the, outs, the outer layer of folks who had seen miracles and knew something was going down and followed him around. Like, what's the deal? I'm just I'm curious. I mean, we're curious. I mean, the guy's feeling chill arena, and I heard he stitched some guy's hand back together or something. I don't know. What's the deal? And then you've got the second layer, a little closer in, who they, they, they knew enough to realize, all right, walking on water, water to wine, this guy knows something about creation and me that, that I don't know. I'm in. I'm in, but, and then there's the final layer, and this are, none of these are judgments. There's a final layer of folks that he called his actual followers, his disciples, his believers, and these are the people who, who leaned into him and said, I want to lean my life area by area against you. See, here, there's this big myth that all of a sudden you become a Christ follower, and boom, I'm all in. No, 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 no. It's absolutely process, and it takes so long for us in such unique and different ways to lean different areas of our lives. I can tell you, you know, and that's the thing. We've all been beat up by people who aren't leaning certain areas against Christ. They're still doing things their own way. And again, judgment-free, that's everybody's battle. That's everybody's struggle, man. You might be one who can very easily lean your relationships on God. God, you know, How do you want me to define relationships? You say forgive, cool. That might be easy for you. But it might be really hard for you to lean your finances or your parenting or, or whatever it may be. You get what I'm trying to say? Your physicality, like... I don't know, man. I, and I talk about my struggles all the time up here. Uh, some were easy. Some I'm still struggling with. And so I'm aware at, at any given time that somebody gives you a microphone and a platform, I'm aware that that's what's happening in here. There's some folks that are on the outside going, I'm not quite sure yet. And that's fine. And there's some people really dedicated and devoted to, I, I want to do the things you want me to do, Lord. I, I do. And somehow, Holy Spirit has to find a way to speak to all levels of all people. Because if there's one thing that's clear in the Bible, it's this. Creator God loves every single person he ever created as much as he loves anyone he's ever created. That was a really nice way of putting that. I appreciate that. When I opened the book of John, John walked around with Jesus, wrote a biography, and I see Jesus say this. You ready? Father, as you love me, you love them. And you realize he's not lying. So everybody, whether they're first saying what's the Jesus thing about or if they're 30-year believers, everybody has all of God's love and, and, and you know acceptance and availability upon them. And somehow God speaks to every layer, which I think is really neat. Now, having said that, this message today, this, more than any message I've ever given, is for me. I am literally going to preach to me in a non-weird way. Like, I'm not going to say AG every five minutes. (laughs) But I mean, listen, more than any of you in this place, I need this message. So let's do this thing. Lots of people ask, what's my destiny? 
I was going to do the Forrest Gump thing, but I do it all the time. What's my destiny, Mama, right? What does God want for me? Now, lots of times we can get lost in the micro. What school does God want me to go to? What spouse? And some say God doesn't care. I've heard a preacher out of, uh, well, it doesn't matter, Detroit, whatever, say, I don't think God cares where you live. I don't think God cares where you work and all this. And Well, when I was looking at the house that I wanted to buy, I thought to myself, my family's going to grow up there. And, 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 you know, there could be a tire swing or there could be a tragic accident. I think God does care where I live. I think God gives good gift, gifts the same way I give to my kids. I care in the toy aisle which toy he gets. I do. Because I know he's going to like that one more. That one's crappy and it's just going to break. You know what I'm trying to say? I still shop Wish. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> that was a cheap Chinese joke. But uh, anyway. Um, oops. <laughs> I'm being recorded. But, um, you know, what I'm, I do care. But a lot of people get stuck there. So let's. Let's, let's look at a slide here. A lot of people get stuck on what's my destiny specifically. And you don't think about this. It says, be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you. What's God's will for Kirk? There you go. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you. AJ, what's God's will for me? Well, this is one of them. It's not all of it. Stop thinking you can get one verse and get all of your theology. It's not going to happen. If you hang your theology on one verse, I don't think it's there. Even John 3.16. I think the, the whole Bible is the whole Bible for a reason. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, but you know, what's God's will for me? Well, this is it right here. Now, some people will look at this and they'll feel condemned because you know what? I don't feel joyful always. And, and I went on Wellbutrin for a while. I wasn't feeling joyful much at all, some people. I, I'm not, what? You think I'm embarrassed by that or not? Pray continually? I'm terrible at that. I can't sit down and focus on something for a long time. What are you nuts? Have you seen these mannerisms? Butterfly, squirrel. Oh, come on, man give thanks in all circumstances. Sometimes I don't want to do that, to be grateful at all times. But this is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. Now, this is what we're going to do today, to put it simply. I want to talk about gratitude. I want to start by saying this. If we know God is good, which, again, that's also in the Bible. God wants good things for us. He doesn't just want obedience. He's not this taskmaster with some whip behind his back. If you do something wrong... That's a different set of churches that have been doing that to control people for hundreds of years. But anyway, you can write me that email if you want. We know God is good. And we know that our best life is based on this. God's will for you. Your best life is found in this, being joyful and, and sharing yourself with God and finding an attitude of gratitude because here's my, my point today. I believe, for the purpose of today, that gratitude is actually a choice. And so if he wants us to be grateful and give thanks in all circumstances, I'm going to give you three different things today that are going to help us do that. Cool? Just practical teaching. But this, this has boots on the ground. It really does. So again, point number one here. Let's kick right, let's kick right into it. I'm going to say this. Gratitude is a choice. And your best day, your best life, your best 2019 is purposefully seeking out choosing gratitude. It's, it's true today. Now, I'm not going to convince you about the fact that God requires and commands gratitude, a thankful heart. It's true and it's important. Obedience is to God. Uh, obedience to God is important. Uh, Colossians says this, whatever you do in word or deed, do it in the name of Christ Jesus, giving thanks to him and the Father through him. And here's the thing. If I wanted to say something about gratitude, I would say this. We sang Amazing Grace for a reason. I'm preaching to myself today. Marty, for all that God has done for me, just me specifically, I absolutely choose to be grateful for everything he's done. Right, and Marty says it too, and Chick's in the back, and Bruce is here, and Brendan, and everybody's story, not even just the healings and the hospital stays, but even just the fact that Jesus said, you know what, I'll go first, I'll give you a way, I'll give you hope. 
I can see why he's saying gratitude should be the first thing that goes out there, right? Even if my life is falling apart, which it has on several occasions, sometimes of my doing, sometimes of circumstances, one thing remains. I once was lost and now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. And I'll throw another rhyme on that. Nobody can take that away from me. That's where my gratitude probably, probably starts right there. So here we go. Get into the teaching. You ready? Kirk, you ready? Entitlement is the enemy of gratitude. I'll even say this. Where entitlement is, gratitude cannot be. Entitlement is the enemy of gratitude, people listening online. We're commanded to be grateful. Our best lives are in gratitude. But guess what? Entitlement, because if you feel entitled to something, you'll never be grateful for it. Bruce, what do you think? I deserve that. You give it to me, you go, there. You don't go, thank you. Woohoo! Right? So we're trying to be grateful, and that's our best life. We have to watch out for entitlement. Because I, I, not only this, if you, if you deserve something, you feel like you deserve something, you won't be grateful when you get it, you'll only be upset if you don't have it. Entitlement actually only is opening you to negativity, in fact. Because never do you get something you feel like you're entitled to and feel better. No, you just feel vindicated. I'm back to zero, right? It's absolutely true. And here's a problem. The media... And virtually all of advertising's main weapon today is entitlement. And I wrote this message yesterday and I went and I looked at cruise lines. I went and looked at all these different things. Wasted too much time, I could tell. And on the way here, people, if you drove from Potsdam, did you see the McDonald's ad on the way here? <laughs> oh, nobody did. Okay, it's a big old sandwich. And it says, I, I promise you, you deserve a better breakfast. <laughs> this is hilarious because you know what? What they're saying to you is this. You're entitled to it. You deserve it, Kirk. You deserve it, right? That's advertising today. But the problem is if you feel like you deserve something and you don't get it, you'll never have gratitude, right? But at the media, guys, I went to, I went to school and, and, and I got a degree in mass media. So yes, I did audio engineering, but I also had to take the advertising classes and all that. And I sat there with people in the industry telling us and teaching us how to write advertisement. One of the most effective tools is tell Joe and Betty Beerkin they deserve your product, right? Seriously, uh, let's say Carnival Cruise Lines. Hey, you've worked hard all year. Come relax on our Carnival Cruise, right? You deserve it. Side note, just once I want to hear ad, like honest advertising. Hey, Carnival Cruise Lines, I know you're like the worst employee in your office. You're always late and you do the bare minimum. You don't actually deserve this, but come buy it anyway. Carnival Cruise. That's funny. Come on, isn't it? I think of like, I think of like, well, this is more my style. You know, you see a guy and he's, well, this is totally up my alley, but he's cutting logs or something. He's got the rawhide gloves on and they show nice cold Coors Light and they're like, tap the Rockies. You know, after a long, hard day and I see a steel chainsaw because I'm a steel man, not a Husqvarna guy, but anyway, and I'm like, ooh, yeah, I would like a nice cold beer at five o'clock, baby. Now, what I would like is one of those advertisements. I'm not picking on anybody, but I'd like to see a really blue-collar guy tapping away at a computer. You've worked hard all day long. <laughs> worked up a sweat. Tap the Rockies. And he's like, thanks. And he drinks it. I'm not coming at any white-collar people. That's still hard work. But you get what I'm trying to say? What they're trying to do is equate the cowboy who did sweat out his calories and could use those carbs. You deserve it too, accountant guy. You know what I mean? And, and, and sure, he does. But you know what I'm trying to say? That's advertising to this day on my very, very way here. Jewelry, 
lingerie, food, beer, you work hard, you deserve it. And the thing I said, it's just growing our entitlement. It absolutely is growing our entitlement. That's a problem. It's really a problem because you won't be grateful for anything you feel like you deserve. So I told you it's going to be short today, but it doesn't mean it's not going to burn. Let's flip the steak a little bit. Uncle AJ has been quoted saying this. Who told you that? You walk by, you see, you deserve a better breakfast. Who told you I deserve a better breakfast? I slept in. I don't work hard. I'm terrible with my money. You think I deserve that breakfast? <laughs> Why do I deserve that? Who told you that? Now, that's funny, but I told you it's going to burn because let's dig a little deeper. Oh, man, I was going to do like a game show thing where I had a bunch of like cards or something flip through. And the first one I picked up, see, I've got no follow-through when it comes to these things. I don't want to be too cheesy. But let's say it's a game show and there's a stack of cards. And I pick one. And it says this. It says, okay, here we have a two-story house, four beds, two baths, a house for that vehicle you wanted. Survey says, Americans, ding, I deserve it, says the crowd. Who told you that? You deserve that. I'm not even going to tell you that having a house for a vehicle makes people in India and Africa and 80% of the world go, you what now? I'm not going to do that to you because I'm not trying to put guilt on you. I'm not doing that. There's nothing good about that. Let's flip the deck some more. What's this one? Reliable vehicle. Also a color I like. Pretty new. I enjoy, I enjoy riding in it and I look good doing it. Survey says, ding, I deserve it, says the crowd. Who told you that? We could all tell stories of, no, no, I'm not saying you don't deserve it. I'm just saying who told you you did, okay? Seriously, because we're dissatisfied until we get there. And if we're dissatisfied, then we're not grateful, Kabish. Y'all remember your first vehicle? I'll tell you what mine was. 1984, Toyota through sale, baby. And it was stick shift, which I miss. I would drive a manual any day of the week. I hate that they're going away. <laughs> I like having more control over the gears. Well, it was a grocery getter, I'm not going to lie. It had different color doors. Probably got four miles to the gallon at the time. I could not pass people, and you certainly, well, didn't have air conditioning, but I couldn't pass people because I had no power. But I did put a subwoofer in the back at 16 years old, so it looked like grandma was going to get groceries, play an ice cube and NWA. But I'll tell you what, I was more grateful for that vehicle than my really nice Tacoma that I have out there. Oh, I love this thing, man. I love this vehicle. You know what I mean? I didn't feel like I deserved any better. It was exactly what I deserved, exactly what I wanted, and gratitude abounded, right? Okay, let's flip the deck. This is the hard one. You ready? You know how I, you know how I like to do things. Oh, man. This will be worth coming today, folks. Oh, here's this card. Let's see, round three. Oh, boy, you're not going to like this, guys. You're not going to like this at all. A loving spouse who treats me well, expresses himself, is my intellectual equal, my spiritual companion, a great parent, a provider, an amazing passionate lover who's romantic but always stays strong and is not needy, who will age well and will always be attracted to <laughs> surveys. I, I deserve it. Uh, who told you that? Did you hear that list? That was pretty exhaustive. No, really. Listen, I'm telling you, I'm preaching to me. Not specifically about that one. You don't get in my business. But um, I, I've been listening to a, guy, a, a lady. She's a, a Bulgarian psychotherapist, because that's what I do. But um, she, uh, sh she's a therapist, author, and speaker. And she points out that only recently have we taken that view of marriage even. Flashback to before the uh, a wage for hire type of thing. When you lived on a farm, you didn't, you didn't need the guy to be, to, to be romantic and wonderful and passionate and also plow the field. 
He provided for your kids and, and, and there was a home. He had security. Likewise, you didn't look to your wife and say, you've gained weight, farmer's wife. Like, you didn't do that. You take care of the kid. You, you see what I'm trying to say, though? Societally, we've done that. Now, all of a sudden, we're in 2019 and all of a sudden, we deserve a renaissance man who big shoulders and he can shoot with a gun, but he's also poetic. Like, th- those things stand that... You get what I'm trying to say, dude? And the problem is... You're wondering why. Do you know what her main study is? Uh, 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 come on, AJ. What's a fancy word for having an affair? Her main, her main uh, study of research in the thousands is she's saying that these expectations, when unmet, lead that way. And one of the reasons the divorce rate is climbing is people go, he just doesn't make me happy. And I'm not, staying, I'm not saying stay in a bad situation. I've, I've, I've preached that message six different times. Abuse and neglect, no. But when I just read that, it indicted me. And then also I have to try to spend the rest of my time here on earth trying to be all these things because she won't be satisfied until I'm every single one of those. Even if I tick 98% of the box, there's 2% and she deserves 100? What, 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 uh, who told you that? Who told you that? What am I saying? I'm not saying a darn thing. I'm just saying go ask yourself that question and have fun. Because maybe, maybe it's a sense of entitlement which wars directly against gratitude. But I ain't one to gossip. You ain't heard that from me. If he's not going to be these things, I'm out of here, man. If she's not going to do all this for me, then I'm out. Even though uh, through most of human history, like I said, it's not been that way. It's just not been that way. Point number two. Take that and go. Have fun. Point number two. Comparison is not of God. Comparison will kill gratitude as quick as entitlement, if not quicker. And here's the thing. I personally believe that we can choose that outside, outside things. Hear me. I believe we can and should choose that outside, outside things should not be allowed to affect our gratitude. Now, this is really easy to happen in the day of social media where you're being asked every day to look at your pal's highlight reels. You're putting up your life. They're putting up their best, their best pictures, their best vacations, their best smiles. You know their kids are terrible, but that picture makes them look like a good family. And it's in your face every day. And so what's the first thing you do while you're sitting there with your, your morning breath and your bad night's sleep and your crappy kids? You turn and you look at them and go, ugh. And any little bit of gratitude you had that day just flushed down the toilet because of comparison. That's absolutely true. Now, you all know, most of you know, yes, I'm, I'm not... I'm not a proponent that you get rid of social media. I'm just saying my life has been better since I got rid of Facebook because I'm thinking that maybe in my life it helped me to live in the moment to not be looking at everybody else's moments. That's all I'm trying to say. The vacations you guys go off on, when what am I doing to spend my time here? Well, my day seems even worse now. (laughs) Now it does. I was fine with it before, but where are you guys going again? You know what I'm saying? Do we think that's healthy? Is that going to lead me to gratitude? Probably not. And I said this before too, just because I love to turn up the heat on everybody here, which is this. Maybe when my ex-girlfriend and I broke up 15 years ago, maybe we're supposed to stay separated and not see each other on media every day. And not even say anything romantic, but what do I don't, maybe I don't need to see how they're doing. Because the first thing it's going to do is compare to where I ended up. And maybe I was having a good day and maybe things are going well, but compared to that, well, stop doing the comparison. You know what I mean? I really, I feel so much better about my parenting now. I feel so much better about just, just about everything, man. Let me tell you something. I can tell you, I can tell you a story about 
Years ago, <laughs> Melanie, you remember this, we went over to Dave's house up at Higley. So this would have been before even Alex was born. And I was in the gym all the time. I think I was 6% body fat, benching 275. It was a physical marvel, man. We were, we were going to do bodybuilding competitions. But that day I felt a little, you know, jiggly. <laughs> so I didn't, no, listen, I know that, hey, listen, I know this is crazy. So I didn't take, I didn't go in the, I didn't go in the water. <laughs> you know what I mean? I left the gym because I became a dad and priorities and things like this. And I feel better about my well out of shape body, way out of shape body now than I did then. You want to know why? Because I was going there and I was in a constant place of comparison to the people around me. What in the world? It absolutely killed my joy and gratitude. The dude didn't even go swimming because he was so self-conscious, even though really like I could have competed in bodybuilding at the time. That's what comparison does. Give me, give me an example in your life of how when you compared, it helped you and made you feel better. Well, maybe not. Or, you ready for this? I'll, I'll go on a side tangent here. Or it's going to make you feel proud and prideful. Because if you see the crappy parents with the crappy kids, you're like, heh, at least I'm not them. But do you think that is gratitude too? No, it's just pride. Pride or complacency. You get what I'm saying? So comparison can't actually lead us to gratitude. You know what? Really, I don't, I, don't, I don't personally think so. I don't. I don't think it's a genuine, can lead us genuinely to that. Another thing I didn't like, just being transparent with you, I don't like seeing people gush about other people. That drives me crazy. Get up there and you see someone, oh, my hubby wubby dubby is so wubby bubby perfect. I'm like, he's a douche. Like, why are you? And nobody says nice things about me like that. Just ruin my day. <laughs> what? Come on. Can we be serious for a second? Because if we're aiming at gratitude and God commands us to do this, these are today's issues. Maybe back in the day it was the newspaper or the six o'clock news or something, but this is what we deal with. And the worst part is we carry this crap around in our pockets. Oops. Right? I'm just one click away from comparison, comparing myself to someone and feeling crappy. And next thing you know, I'm not grateful the rest of the day. Or like I said, what I feel like I deserve. Like, well, she's awfully nice to him. Why is nobody nice to me? <sighs> keep, keep, keep an eye out for that, guys. If you lose your gratitude, keep an eye out for these first two things. Now, the last thing, and uh, we're out of here today, is this. This is not high and lofty and intellectual. Well, I'll, I'll get a drink anyway. You know what? Let's look at the next. What do we got? The Let's do the next slides. That's good. See, thankful. Mm -hmm. Next one, please. Let's take a look at the story, guys. On his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. He stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Next one. When he saw them, he said this, Go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, he came back. He praised God in a loud voice. He, th he threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, he points it out for you and me, I would guess. We're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner, the Samaritan? Then he said to this, hey, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. End of story. And as you look at this, you realize that lepers, of course, were on the outside of society. They couldn't touch anyone. Can you imagine never having a loving touch from anyone ever again? Can you imagine getting leprosy and all of a sudden you've got to leave your family? 
Bye, take care of the kids, please. I gotta go. Because we believe it's communicable. If I stay here, it's gonna, you're done. You need to be forever alone. So what God did in this per- these people's lives, it was absolutely huge, right? On a physical level, on an emotional level, like it, it was huge. And yet only one found the whatever to come back. My third and final point before we leave today is this. And it's not even high and lofty, Brenda. It's this. Busyness is the enemy of gratitude. Because here's the thing. Don't look at me and church up the Bible. Because these people had nothing to look forward to or live for. So it's not that I don't think getting healed meant nothing to them. Something else happened. That's all. Use your brains. They probably were just so excited to go get back to their families, maybe find work again, whatever it is, that it slipped their mind to be grateful that they got their lives back. You see, here's the thing I find. How honest can I be today? Um, Yeah, heck, I'll do it. So I've been doing this sort of work here for what, eight years, nine years, something like that? And I've had the privilege to watch God do virtually this in people's lives over and over and over again. I've loved sitting in the office and seeing marriages get put back together. And then people end up in a happier place than they even thought was possible. I love seeing people. I mean, I just, I could go on and on and on about the powerful, amazing things God has done in this building and the previous building and offices and people's lives, even things I haven't been a part of. And there are some times when I look for those very same people and I don't see them anymore coming here to worship God. AJ, is that a clue to get people in church? Have you met me? No. But he did all that. You never came back to say thank you? We're not, you. Was not your life spared, I could say to some people? Was not your marriage spared, I could say to some people? And then we look and, and they're just, what, what's happening? Well, stuff came up, man. And I'm not condemning anybody. Again, have you met me? I don't do that. Things got busy. I've just been so busy. I get it. I get it, dude. I mean, I, I, gotta, I stay home with a four-year-old and six-year-old. Come compare stories to me. And I have this as a job. So please, by all means. But I get it. But it's busy. It's not a hard thing. It's not like, I don't want to. I don't care anymore. It's not. You're right. I just got busy. And busyness is the enemy of gratitude. The last point I'm going to make today, it's the same point. I'm done with my page here, is gratitude requires time. Gratitude requires a space in our lives. Do you understand that? Gratitude needs to be carved out. Gratitude's not going to come, let's say you're on your commute on the way home. Having those grateful thoughts about where you're going. I'm going home to my wife and kids. I'm going home to my husband. Whatever it may be. Uh, my, 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 My animals, my dogs, this place. Whatever it may be. Those thoughts are not going to grow and cultivate on their own. They just don't. They require a space in your life to grow. For me sometimes, and again I'm preaching to myself... My, it's a push-button radio. Sometimes I have to hit that radio on the way home and just purposefully think of things I should be grateful for. Well, I don't feel grateful today. I know that because gratitude's a choice. So sometimes I close my eyes and I remember what it was like to drive to that other home. Honestly, on the way here, I, I remembered what it was like. I was turning at uh, Walgreens. I could still see that for some reason. Something was on the radio. And I can remember what it was like to not know if I was going to get married. We've been married for over a decade, but I felt that. Oh, that's why, because I worked at Walgreens at the time. And I looked at the building and I had this flash of like, when I met her and I knew we were going to get married, this was the person. I had that feeling, gratitude. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, oh, yes, Lord, I remember what it was like to be alone. 
I remember what it was like to be scared. I remember what it was like when Chick was going, going into the surgeries. I, I remember what, when Bruce, before Bruce, get, get what I'm trying to say? When you were going before your darkest hour, I remember those things. And that's when gratitude grows. But it needed that time. I remember what it was like to, how much he's changed. I remember how much she's changed. I remember, you know what I'm saying? And gratitude grows. And as we said in the first slide, gratitude is our best lives, man. And trust me, I get it. The kids are running around. <sighs> Things are hectic and crazy. I would recommend that we develop the discipline of just carving out a moment in each day for gratitude. Let me tell you one last story. I read it to you one time. It was this female blogger. No, I don't, think, I don't even think it was a Christian thing, but she was telling a story about how her and her family, she had three little kids, and they went to the beach. And the husband's carrying all the beach toys, and the kids are running around, and there's yelling. There's going to be yelling. You know that. And she remembered they walked by this older couple sitting on the beach next to the boardwalk. And the, the older fella elbows his wife and goes, ah, oh, those were the days, huh? Now, she was throwing fits, as you do in the moment. Nobody's judging you here. I'm a dad. I get it. But she said that hearing him say that, that this here, these are the days? These crazy, sunscreen-soaked, screaming, overtired kids, nobody eats the right food. These are the days? And you know what? Yes. And I, these are the days now. These days. Today. You get it? Grandparents' days. Absolutely wonderful, aren't they? Get it? These are the days. All of them are the days. These are the days we get to play in the sand, enjoy the people we love around us, and choose gratitude. Let's sing Good Father. You want to do that? Lisa, let's sing Good Father. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, we're going to pray at the end that we help... Help ourselves have an attitude of gratitude. You are.